All right. How are you this morning? Welcome to those online who are just joining us. Uh, the rest of us have been just enjoying that uh, bumper video. And so uh, Monday, Allison and I were talking, and she was sharing what was going to happen to her this past week and said, hey, is there any way we can swap Sundays? Uh, I was going to be teaching on the 29th. And I said, sure. So uh, I was excited about it. It really felt like I, was, I had this thing I wanted to talk about. And so um, I had it all done by Wednesday morning, you know. I was so pumped because it was like early, and I had my PowerPoint done. I was just, and I'm going, I'm excited about this message. I can't wait to teach it. And then Wednesday morning, I got a call from a friend who called me to do something that people do not normally do for pastors. He called me to tell me how well he was doing. Yeah, isn't that cool? Because normally when people call a pastor, it's not because they're doing well, okay? I'm just telling you right now. And he said, man, I'm doing, so I just called you to tell you how good I'm doing and what the Holy Spirit has been showing me and how I'm now seeing that there are things that I used to believe that are not from him and I've got to be able to let those go and really embrace his truth. And, and we talked about that and I thought, that is so cool. And I went from that right into a prayer meeting with our prayer team and our prayer team uh, said, you know what? We really feel like God's calling us right now to pray against things like mental illness illness, things like depression, things like people who are engaged with suicidal tendencies and thoughts and everything. And we just really feel strongly that, that we need to spend some time praying about this. And I said, sure, that's great. And so we're praying about that. And, and then it just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know what, that message you had, that's great for another time. But I've got a different one that I want you to teach. That night I got home and my wife said, how was your day today? And I said, well, let's see, it, was, it made me annoyed, a little bit apprehensive, and really excited. And she said, why? And I, that's weird words to put together. And I said, well, because I really think the Holy Spirit's telling me to change my message for Sunday. And uh, so I did. And here we are. So we'll see what he has to say. Okay, so here is what I want to talk about this morning is, is from the biblical perspective, truth and lies. I think this is such a foundational teaching for all of our lives and, what, and how we live our lives and how we should look at the world and even our spiritual life. And, and if you think of foundation, you know, you think of the, the bottom of a house, right? You build everything on top of that foundation. So the foundation itself is really critical. And so I want to talk about truth and lies today from the, from the Bible and why it's so important as a foundation. Let me start with an illustration, however. Victor, Victor did not fit in. He knew that as a kid. Uh, and, and just the way he was treated in school and the, and the things he would pot, he was socially awkward. He kind of didn't seem to get it, you know. And the kids ended up making fun of him as kids often do, and they called him dummy. And, and finally, one of them actually hit on a thing that became his nickname, and it was the dunce. And so Victor became known, that's the way he saw himself. By the time he got to high school, uh, he met with a counselor in high school, and the counselor said, Victor, you know what I think you should do? I think you should drop out of high school and just go get a job so that you can find some, some way to take care of yourself so you're not a burden on society. And Victor did just that, got a job sweeping the floors in the factory in the, in the town. And then one day, they... Uh, the company came and said, hey, we want everybody in the company to take a test. And so everyone in the company had to take this test from the top all the way down to the bottom, including even the custodian took this test. And when they got the results of the test back, one of the results was shocking. It, it, nobody in the company could understand it. And, they, and, and it had to do with the custodian. And so they called Victor in and they said, Victor, we have some questions to ask you. 
And he said, what, what, what? And they said, the test that, you all, that we all took is a test on your intelligence quotient, an IQ test. And it came back saying that you are a genius. And they said, how come you haven't been acting like a genius? How come you haven't been telling us you're a genius? And Victor said, well, I didn't know I was. And I had learned to, to not say what I thought because people would think I was dumb. They said, well, now we want to know what you think. Tell us what you're thinking about how the factory is laid out. Tell us how you see. And so Victor began to finally share his insights. And he went from being the guy who was sweeping the floors to the guy who was managing the plant yeah. to the guy who led the company and became president of the company. Later, Victor joined what's called the Mensa Society. If you're not familiar with that, it's, uh, you've got to be a genius level and demonstrate your genius level IQ to even be a member. And later, Victor became president of the American Mensa Society for a number of years. Victor Serebryankov. True story. I've got a question for you. What was it that Victor believed about himself prior to that IQ test? What was it? What people told him. And what did people tell him? That he was dumb. What was that? It was a lie. I heard somebody say it was a lie. It was not the truth. Why is believing a lie about ourselves so destructive and harmful? Why? We act out of that. We begin to act out of the lie that we believe instead of acting out of what the truth actually is. Wow. That, that sounded like a plant, didn't it? That was perfect, that answer. Man, I'm telling you. So when Victor found out the truth, what did he have to do? He had to change. What did that look like? Probably a lot of hard work. Probably a lot of hard work. He had to begin to see himself as he really was. Not as he had been told he was. Not even as he had come to believe he was. So in my mind, I'm seeing Victor getting up in the morning and when he's going to sweep that factory floor and he's shaving a dunce in that mirror. But now, Victor had to get up and shave a genius. Oh, he had to change his view of who he was and it wasn't just a short-term thing. You see, Jesus' teaching on truth and lies is foundational for us because everything else about your faith is built on the truth or what you perceive to be the truth. And so how you see lies and how you accept the lies or embrace the lies can really negatively impact your foundation, that very thing that everything else is built upon. Jesus tells us where those lies come from and we'll see why, like Victor, it was so important to distinguish between truth and lies. Now, I'm not going to be talking today about the truth as it relates to politics. Can you say amen to that? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Because honestly, I happen to believe that the truths of God are far more important than the truths of politics, as important as they may be. It's the difference between truth and lies that actually causes most of the hurt in our lives. It's the difference between truth and lies that causes relational disrepair, that causes addictions, that causes wounds, hurtful, harmful thoughts and actions, both to ourselves and to other people. I'm also not going to be talking this morning about relative truth. You know what relative truth is? It's my truth and it's your truth. 
which is a kind way of saying it's my opinion and it's your opinion. It really has nothing to do with what is actual truth. I heard somebody recently say, well, that's my truth, and so I'm going to tell it like it is. And I thought, wow, there's a huge difference between my truth and the truth. Because the truth is, my truth is my opinion of what I think it might be, right? God's Word tells us what it clearly is. So we'll be talking about the truth this morning from God's perspective, not from a human being's perspective. Jesus shares about the truth throughout his teachings about the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. If you don't believe in God, or if you've come to a place in your life where you kind of want to decide who God is, what he is, what you believe of what he says, and what you won't believe of what he says, can I suggest to you that you are actually treating God then as though he is not God, you're actually treating yourself as though you are God. Because God either is or he isn't, God either has his truth or he does not, and it is not impacted by what you or I choose to decide or think that it is. I happen to be very concerned for those who, who begin to think that way because they become their own God. And the truth is, it's a pretty small God to believe in. I don't know about you, but I just do not believe in, in somebody else as my God, other human being, or even myself. So, but we'll see that that viewpoint began a long time ago. In fact, it began at the very beginning. So we're going to go to the beginning of God's Word, and then we're going to jump forward to see how Jesus sees this. And here's the beginning. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 1 and 2, we read about God creating the heavens and the earth, man and, man and woman and all the animals. And at the end of, of all of the creation, it says that God looked at all of it, and he said, that is very good. He loved the way it was. Woman and man united together in one flesh. And at the end of uh, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Now the man and the wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what that tells me is God actually created us not to feel shame. Shame is not something he wanted us to feel. And that was the truth then until we get to, ver to chapter 3. And chapter 3 begins in verse number 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Who does the serpent represent? Satan. Satan, right. So we don't know, I don't know, whether Satan actually showed up as a serpent or whether he just in inhabited the serpent or whatever it was. But it was him in the serpent. That is very clear. And so he shows up. And one day it says he asked the woman. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And she, her response was, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Can I suggest something to you? Exaggeration is the beginning of a lie. Just a thought. We start exaggerating on something, it's kind of the beginning of where we're going to wind up lying. She was exaggerating. God did not say you can't eat of it or even touch it. God had said, you know what, I've got all of these trees in the garden, all of them, there's only, and there's two of them right in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life, don't eat from that one tree, that's all he said. Don't eat from that tree or, or you will die. And, but she's already started to exaggerate that. And now the devil's response to her is, you won't die. 
The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. I want you to notice the strategy of the enemy here. He starts with questioning God. He starts with wanting you to question God, me to question God. Did God really say? You know, I can't believe he would say something like that. And when she begins to open her mind to the fact that God may, that, that, that I'm wondering if God did, she even now contributes to it by, by exaggerating, and now he's willing to come with an outright lie. You won't die, but in fact, you could become like God. What a pleasing lie. What an incredible thought of, oh, wow, I could be like God? It, it, John writes in 1 John 2, verse number 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. The enemy always is using the things of this world to lie to us, to get us off track with God. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and now, now, now John's going to describe the things the enemy uses to lie to us, to get us off track. He says the things that are in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are the lies from the enemy. And I want to suggest to you that knowing the truth is what exposes the lies and sets us free. So here the enemy is now coming with those things. Watch how that lays out. Uh, verse number six, Genesis chapter three. She saw that the tree was beautiful. There you have the desire of the eyes or the lust of the eyes as the King James Version says or the cravings. Oh man, it looks good and its fruit looked delicious. Now you've got the desires of the flesh. I want to have that. I want to, I want to own that. The desires of the flesh that the enemy uses. And she wanted the wisdom it would give. There's the pride of life that John was talking about. The things of this world that are going to try to detour us. I could be like God. I could know the difference between good and evil. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Let's just address the gender thing a moment here, can we? Just to get it out in the open, you know? You know uh, so, so instead of looking at Eve and going, well, Eve, I cannot believe you did that. You screwed it up for all of humanity from there forward. Therefore, if you're a woman, you must be part of that whole process. And Adam was there with her at the time. And he didn't even stand up and do what he should have done as spiritual, the spiritual leader of the couple. All right, enough said on that. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. Oh, do you see how they went from the understanding the truth underneath the umbrella of God's truth in relationship with God and they had no shame and suddenly now they're feeling shame and nakedness. That's the impact of believing lies. Let me tell you what else happens when you believe lies. First, it brings brings us to that place of shame. 
Believing lies screws up our identity, how we see ourselves, how we see God. It messes up our view of God. It comprises, it, I should, it, it compromises our relationship with God. Every time we end up believing a lie, it ends up moving us further away from God, which is the enemy's plan, which is what he wants it to do. And so it has a compounding effect. You believe a lie, you act out on the lie, and all of a sudden you act out again to support that. And so it has a compounding effect for bad. It convinces us to react wrongly to people in relationships, to the circumstances around us, and believing lies puts us in bondage, in bondage to the lie, which essentially ends up being in bondage to the enemy, doesn't it? Because he's the one who has fed us the lie to start with. So here's why it's so important to embrace the truth. The truth from God's word gives us the correct view of God. The truth repairs our relationship with God. The truth identifies us as children of God, loved children of His. The truth verifies that we have been forgiven and that He cares about us. The truth convinces us to respond appropriately to other people, to other circumst the circumstances and situations in our life. And the truth, when we embrace the truth, it has a compounding effect for good. And finally, watch this because here's what my friend said Wednesday morning, it sets us free from bondage and shame. So believing lies moves us to a place of being in bondage and shame, and when we embrace the truth, knowing the truth, it sets us free from bondage and shame. Now here's a question for you. Where does that battle of truth and lies take place? In the mind, in the mind, somebody's doing this, yes. It takes place in our mind, doesn't it? That's why Paul said in Romans 2, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Remember, we saw what the world does. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of you might like the old King James Version. It says, be ye transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. So it's letting us know the mind is where the enemy wants to try and get a hold. The mind is where he wants to get in and wiggle his way in and pull you away from God, which means the mind is the very place where we have battle with him and we say, uh-uh, you do not get to control my mind. You don't get to direct me in those directions. I'm going to instead focus on God's truth and go the other direction. And it go, uh, go, Paul goes on to say, then you'll learn to know God's will for you. When you're looking for your mind being transformed by that, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So God transforms us by showing us the truth. Hmm. Now, we're going to get to Jesus' teaching on truth and lies. So let me ask you this question. Where can we find truth? Where do we find it? In the Word. Somebody said in the Word. In the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible tells us truth. That's God's Word to us. The Holy Spirit gives us truth. That's the truth that we get from Him. Who represents the truth? In the, Jesus. Jesus does. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the truth. So knowing the truth requires, you get this, requires knowing Jesus. So it's no wonder people who are not familiar with Jesus, people who have no relationship with Jesus, find it so easy to be caught up in things of this world, in the lies of the enemy. But what this is clearly saying and what Jesus is clearly saying is Jesus is the embodiment. He's a personification. He's the totality of truth. 
Whereas a Satan, he's the opposite. He is the personification, the identity, the totality of lies. And we'll see that in just a moment. That's why knowing the truth exposes the lies and sets you free. Now, much of Jesus' teaching, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about the character of God. He gives parables. He does other things to show us the character of God. God's love for us, his compassion for us, his mercy, his grace. They're scattered all throughout those Gospels. They speak the truth about God, which we want to understand instead of the lies the enemy wants us to believe. Jesus now, in John chapter 8, I want to encourage you to read John 8 on your own. I'm going to pull some excerpts out of it. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about one of the things he's talking about. There are some other things in the chapter as well. But one of the things he's talking about is his thoughts on truth and lies. And he's going to give us a description of the enemy in the process. But I'm going to pull some stuff out. Here we go. John 8, in verse 12, Jesus said this. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Then in verse 23, he says, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. In other words, he's saying, if you don't believe that I'm God, you will not know the truth and therefore you will not be set free from your sins. And now Jesus start, turns and he, and he begins to talk directly to those in the crowd that believe in him. That's in verse 31. He's just talking to the people who believe in him and he says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Ah, now we've all heard, I've heard people who aren't even believers quote, say, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The only problem is you're missing the context. And is a, a conjunction word, meaning it ties it to what comes before it. So when we see what comes before it, we see that what he is saying is that is he is saying that I am going to show you the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you remain faithful to my teachings and you'll know the truth. So you've got to know who I am. You've got to be faithful to my teachings. And then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. Just a few minutes ago, we heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now he's saying, if you know and live out my teachings, you know me, which is the truth. So here's the formula. If Jesus equals the truth, then his teachings and claims are true. Because he personifies the truth. So if you want to be free from bondage and the bondage of sin and the lies, then you must know Jesus' teachings and you must apply them to your life. The people there didn't get it. So the ones who were listening to him, even the believers who were listening to him, they didn't quite get what he was talking about. They thought he was talking about physical slavery, so they responded this way. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will, you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And there Jesus is referring to himself as the son of God. And so he is able to say, so if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus would go on in verse 51 to say, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teachings will never die. So what he's saying is true freedom 
and eternal life, both true freedom and eternal life, come from Jesus' teachings. Well, so, so why is it so hard to get this? Why is it so hard to apply this foundational teaching that Jesus is sharing with us here? Well, let me suggest that one of the reasons it's so hard is we have an enemy who does not want us to get it, who wants to get us off track to that. He desperately wants to keep you from having the relationship that God wants you to have with him. He desperately wants to keep you from being free from your sin and being able to live the way Jesus call, has called you to live. He wants to keep you from feeling free from your sins and being what God wants you to be about. He does not like God. It has very little to do with you, by the way. He could care less about you. You're a pawn to him that he just wants to annoy God with. That's why knowing the truth will expose the lies and set you free. But you know what? He is a formidable enemy. An opponent whom we cannot defeat on our own. We must have the truth of Jesus to defeat the enemy's lies. That's the truth that helps us defeat him. In John 8 now, Jesus goes from talking to those who believe in him to speaking directly to those who do not believe in him. And here's what he tells them in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me because I have come from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear me. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. What Jesus is saying is, I want my truth to set you free. I want you to see the lies that you've been believing and how they're impacting your lives. But you can't even hear me because you're so determined to live the way you want to live and to do the things you want to do that your heart and mind aren't opening to hear what I'm telling you. You are making yourself the God you live for. Friends, there are people today who ignore Jesus, who just, you know, say, I don't believe in him. I don't think he's, he doesn't mean anything for me. But there are also people today, and these are the ones who concern me personally, they claim to believe in God. They claim to have a relationship with Jesus himself. But yet they, they say, but I'll decide how much of this I'm going to apply because I want to be able to do this, because I want to be able to do that. And so they live their lives as though they are their own God and not as though he is. And Jesus is saying, you're not even listening to me and you can't even hear me. You got your ears plugged to me because you do not want to hear the truth that I want to share with you. So the truth of the matter is, you actually are not one of my children. You're acting like it, but you're actually a child of your father the devil. Boy, are those harsh words. And if that doesn't make us look inside of ourselves and say, Lord, how am I stacking up here? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I being who you want me to be? Am I recognizing your truth? Can I hear from you? Jesus is telling us, don't be deceived. This may be the very reason you can't hear and you don't know the truth. And if that's you, can I just encourage you to solve that? It's so simple to solve. You just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been doing this stuff. I've been putting myself in front. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to hear you. I want to know your word. I want to, I want to receive the truth. I want to be set free by that. And when you do that, I promise you, he begins to respond to that. And you'll begin to hear him. 
Jesus then tells us where that thought process began uh, and where the blindness comes from by describing the character of Satan. This is important because if you want to defeat your enemy, you have to have an idea of the way he likes to operate and what he intends to do. So here's Jesus' description of the devil who wants you to get all wrapped up in the world stuff. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. In other places, listen to this. He's actually described as an incredible counterfeiter that will actually appear at times as an angel of light. The devil can appear as an angel of light. He is a master counterfeiter. Friends, listen to me. If you think, oh, I can tell his counterfeit anytime I want. No, no, no. If he's a good counterfeiter, it's hard to see. It's hard to tell. It's a lousy counterfeit. If it's a lousy counterfeiter, we all know it's obvious. So, so wait a minute. How do we know the difference between his counterfeit fake stuff and God's real stuff? Well, let me tell you how they train people to to recognize counterfeit bills. They have them look at the real thing. They have them study the real thing. They have them feel the real thing. They look at the real thing through all kinds of different lights. They become very familiar with what is true. So familiar with what is true that when what is not true comes by them, they go, wait a minute, this isn't right. This isn't right. There's something wrong here. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. And they compare it to the truth. Well, yeah, and we can find the truth, can't we? Yeah, because he's told us the truth. He's given us the truth that we can find. And so we have to go back to the truth. We have to go back to Jesus to say, would you expose these counterfeit lies? Jesus goes on in verse 45 to say, so when I tell the truth, remember he's speaking to those who don't believe, when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Jesus is clearly saying, knowing the truth requires believing Jesus. Knowing the truth requires believing Jesus. So what are the lies the enemy tells? I want to just, I want to just share some of them with you because some of, the, some of you may be triggered by these. Some of you may be dealing with some of these lies right now. Here are some of them. You're no good. That's a lie from the enemy. That's not from God. That's not the one who created you. You aren't wanted. You're a waste. You should kill yourself. No one really cares about you. You're ugly, you're, dece- you're hideous, you're hurtful. You don't deserve. Oh, here's another one he loves, the opposite of that. You deserve. You should be able to have. Don't let anybody keep you from getting. Or this one. You can't help it. You can't help that you're depressed. You can't help that you're anxious. You can't help that you're compulsive. You can't help that you're angry. You can't help these things. It's not your fault. Lies from the enemy. You'll never be successful. You'll always fail. 
Ah, no one really likes you. Or this one, if people really knew what you were like. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that is not from God. That is not from God. And what are the results of embracing those lies, of owning them? One is self-sabotage. Proving to yourself the lie that you believe. Or trying to disprove the lie that you believe will cause you to self-sabotage, will cause you to act out in different ways. When you accept the lies, the, the result is you'll accept less than God has for you. Self-pity in some cases becomes a big thing for people. Excuses is a lifestyle. Acting out is a result of believing lies. Acting out with affairs, acting out with porn, acting out with uh, uh, whatever it takes to feel wanted, to feel cared for. Overeating, undereating, binging. Anything that will find me some comfort that I can, or I can forget about. Addictions, drugs, alcohol. All counterfeit solutions that we use to try and uh, make us not have to think about it or make us believe something different about it. And certainly a wrong identity of who you are and how God sees you is a result of believing lies. Here's some truthful statements that really help offset those. The Bible tells us God loves you incredibly and unconditionally. God has forgiven you fully and completely. God wants you as his child, his friend, his partner, his servant. God wants to protect you and he wants to set you free. God wants to be in an intimate, loving relationship with you. And right now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I, I, I can't think that God thinks that way. That's the enemy. Recognize it. Stop him. Say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That is not true. God's told me he created me for that reason. He told me he wants me. He told me I get an inheritance along with Jesus, my brother. He's given me in his inheritance. An acceptance of Jesus makes me Jesus' brother, makes me his friend, Jesus said. I love the fact that God tells the truth in his word. He tells the truth so much he says, listen, in this world you will have trouble. That's truth. And then he says, now let me tell you how I'm going to provide for it. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You have. How have you done that? With my son. How have you done? He brought the truth. He is the truth. Look to him. Because knowing the truth will expose the lies and set you free. So Jesus promises to reveal the truth if, the qualifier, if we do our part in accepting and obeying his teachings. And he says doing that shows our love for him. John 14, 21, Jesus says this. Those who accept my commandments, and I want, to, I want you to think of commandments here as teachings. It's the same thing. Some of us, when we think of commandments, we think, thou shalt not, and you know God's waiting to beat you with a big stick or something. That's not the idea here. Jesus is saying, those who accept my teachings, the things I'm going to tell you about God, about, about yourself and all these things, and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. So, okay, Lord Jesus, you're going to reveal yourself to us. How do you do that? Don't lose me now. This is so important. This is so important in the life of anyone who wants to follow Jesus. It's the secret weapon. It's the secret weapon that we have in him. The secret weapon of incredible power. Okay, it's not so secret, but I like to call it that because it really sounds better and more powerful. 
And Jesus tells us that our secret weapon, listen to this, he says our secret weapon is greater than those weapons who are formed against us. Who forms the weapons against us? The enemy does. The enemy forms the weapons against us. And now Jesus comes and he says, I've got a weapon for you that is greater than those who are arrayed against you. Your secret weapon will help us expose the lies and know the truth. Our secret weapon comforts us, counsels us, encourages us according to God's truth, which is the truth. And Jesus asked God to give each of his followers the secret weapon. And God responded to Jesus by providing the weapon for all of us Immediately upon accepting Jesus. Ah. Oh. Here's a problem. Some of us have never taken the safety off. Some of us have never allowed the weapon to go to work for us. Some of us have hidden the weapon because we are concerned. We're not sure about how to deal with the weapon. So the easier way to deal with it is to put it in the closet and forget about it. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all Truth, all truth, even better than Google. <laughs> the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, listen to me. I'm asking the Father, God the Father, to send you the Holy Spirit. Right now he's living with you. He's saying, it's me. It's me. It's my spirit. Later, when I ascend to God, is what he was saying, then he will come and live in you as he does you and I today. The moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the truth of God's word says the Holy Spirit is deposited in us. He is a gentleman. He will not force his way upon you. You have to be willing to release him. You have to be willing to ask him to move on your behalf. You have to take the safety off of the weapon. And sometimes for us, that scares the you-know-what out of us, right? Oh, my goodness, he might do something I don't expect. Yep, he might. In John 15, 26, Jesus said, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He'll come to you from the Father and testify all about me. Who's Jesus? The truth. So there you go. When the spirit of truth comes, he says in John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard, what he's heard from Jesus, what he's heard from the Father, because he's the spirit of Jesus living in us, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will bring us into all truth. He will help us understand that knowing the truth exposes the lies and set you free. Man, you've got to activate your secret weapon, friends. We just have to be about that. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe He is active and alive today. We have seen that. And He can and will lead you into all truth. But you've got to ask Him. You've got to allow Him. 
So let me give you a, a, a real quick example. Um, uh, and, I, and it's a personal example. I believed a lie from the enemy from the time I was in grade school. Nobody told it to me. He gave it to me, and I accepted it. And the lie was this. The lie was that I wasn't wanted. Easy to come up with if you're one of eight kids and, you know, your parents don't know where you're at half the time. You think, well, you know what? They don't really want me. They don't really need me. And then the enemy begins to build on those lies. And, and, and now you believe, I, I'm not wanted. Well, well, guess what? God's created us all to be wanted because he wants us and he wants us to be in relationship. So he's created us with this desire to be wanted. So as a young boy, you begin to do things to, to get people to tell you how much they want you. And as you grow up and, and, and the enemy keeps uh, demonstrating and bringing to light other things that happen and making them part of the lie so you'll believe the lie more, you begin to act out again until you can actually hurt other people and yourself. Trying to find ways to demonstrate that, that somebody wants me, somebody cares about me, somebody wants to need me. And you can actually begin to hurt other people and hurt yourself in the process. The lie needs to be exposed. And... One day, after dealing with that for years, in my adulthood, I'm praying with a good friend, and, and we began to address this. And, and, and he said, let's, let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit, who is the one who brings truth about these things. What is, what is it you've been believing? And the Holy Spirit just made it very clear. This is what I was believing. He said, would you, let's go back and see where that originated. Ask the Holy Spirit if he'll show you that. And the Holy Spirit showed me where it originated from. And he said, okay, now we know this is where you believe that. Could you confess that to God? So there's the first step. We've got to ask first. The second step is we confess. Lord, forgive me. I believed a lie. For much of my life, I believed this lie. It doesn't come from you. Forgive me for believing that lie. And, and, then, and then the next step is replace it with the truth. So what's the truth? And and. and and I'm talking to this friend of mine as we are praying through this. And he, said, and he says that, what is the truth? And I said, well, I think. And he goes, no, not I. What's the Holy Spirit telling you? Oh. Oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me that the truth is God created me. He knitted me together in, in my mother's womb for the purpose and reason of being in an intimate, ongoing relationship with him and for me to be able to live my life that way. And he wants me that much. And he loves me that much. And he cares about me that much. That's the truth. Yeah, yeah. So identify the lie. Confess it. Ask God to give you the truth, and now you implement that truth. And like Victor, you have to do it again and again. Why? Because the enemy wants to keep beating you up with the lie. And so he comes back in another situation and says, See, you're not wanted. And I go, Ho, 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 wait a minute. I know where that's coming from. That's not from God. No, you get behind me. You enemy, you got no room at my table. Get out of here right now in Jesus' name. You don't have, because he's told me the truth. I'm embracing the truth. I am living on the truth. I am no longer that person that you convinced me I was. I am a new creation, a new creature in Christ. He's transforming my mind. He is living inside of me and he is allowing me to be a different person for him. Wow. Thank you, Lord. So we rebuke the enemy. We don't give them a place at our table anymore. We've unsheathed the Holy Spirit, our secret weapon. And he's going to set things right. He's going to bring the truth to us. You don't have to live. You do not have to live with a thought that you're not worthy. You do not have to live 
with the thought that you ought to take your own life. That is not from God. You don't have to live with the thought that you cannot help it, that, that you're despairing of. And you certainly don't have to live with a thought that, oh, but I ought to be able to get these things of the world that the enemy wants me to believe I ought to be able to get, so I'm going to get them whether or not God tells me they're good for me. No, you're going to believe the truth. And you're going to say, Lord, I, I, I sense that this here is a selfish reason. This here is not from you. This here is from the enemy. So let me, give me the truth on that and let me know. Show me how to apply that. Because knowing the truth exposes the lies. And that's what sets you free. And Jesus comes and says, and I want you to be free. I've come so that you might be free and free indeed. That means really free. Really free. So the enemy comes to me and he goes, look at all these places you've screwed up. You know what? You're a professional screw up. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I say, you know what? You're right. And God's got it all covered. That's where you're wrong. He no longer sees me that way. You know how he sees me? (laughs) You're going to hate this enemy. You're going to hate this. Here it comes, baby. He sees me as perfect. He sees me like his son Jesus. That's a good day. And that's the way he sees you. That's the way he sees you. Lord, right now we're coming to you and saying, we've believed lies so often. We've gone in the wrong place in the wrong way. And today we need to come to you and say, Lord, forgive us for that. Show us the truth and show us how to live in the truth. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will set people free, that as they come to you and and acknowledge the lies that they have believed, that you will set them free and set them free indeed, that you will show them the truth and let them embrace the truth. We ask for freedom in those things, Lord. We ask for you to, to move in those ways, and we thank you that you are so able to do that. We give you praise for it. God, we give you glory for it and thanks right now for the people whose lives are going to be set free because they're understanding your truth. And we're going to give you glory for it, Lord. We're going to keep on giving you glory for it. We're going to thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.